On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we'll talk to Steve Olson, the owner of comic book store A Little Shop of Comics. He'll give us the inside scoop on running a pop culture store and give us a little dirt on the business of comic books. And I'm joined by special guest Lulu French to discuss everyone's current TV addiction, Stranger Things. Now straight from Benny's Burgers in Hawkins, Indiana, this is 1.21 Gigawatts! there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 8 for September 2016. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. I'm referring to movies, TV, comics, games, theme parks, and more. If that all sounds good to you, you are in the right place. And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of said nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. Summer TV is traditionally a mixed bag of programming. We're in between seasons of a lot of our favorite shows, and that leaves a bit of a gap to catch up on shows you might have missed, go see movies, or maybe just be outside in the delightful 93-degree heat. But this summer, at one point or another, someone said to you, hey, have you seen Stranger Things on Netflix? You either said no and continued a lonely reality of muted colors watching only Space 1999 VHS tapes, or you watched and joined the millions of viewers who fell in love with the sci-fi horror series starring Winona Ryder, Matthew Modine, David Harbour, and the most endearing and talented child actors you've seen in years. My wife Lulu French and I were among the binge-watching obsessives and had to share our thoughts on the show. I'd call this a review, but since we recorded this just minutes after finishing season one of Stranger Things, it's more of a knee-jerk reaction. I should also add that this conversation is spoiler-heavy, so if you're planning to watch Stranger Things but haven't yet done so, please do yourself a favor and skip ahead to the interview. Otherwise, put on your hazmat suit, crank up the 80s tunes, and let's venture into the Upside Down. hearing that music right now and getting chills that means that you are one of the many people that has been spending at least part of the summer watching the netflix series stranger things and that has certainly been happening in my household and that's been happening with my wife lulu french who joins us now for a knee-jerk reaction and review on stranger things hello lulu hello so we've just finished uh, the eighth and final episode of this show, which I think Ooh. it's safe to say has rocked our socks. Oh, that, that one was gut-wrenching. I, I shed tears a couple of times. We should uh, preface this with saying that um, we are assuming, if you're listening to this, that you too have watched The Stranger Things and are looking for a place to wallow around mm -hmm. in its awesomeness. And uh, for the next 10 minutes or so, that's going to be right here, people, because we are going to break this mother down. Um, <laughs> I was really kind of surprised, actually, by the last episode, because so the beauty of this show so much has been really the slow build uh, of just sort of wallowing in the 1980s, in the early 80s, mm. and in some really great character progression and character building. Yes. And episode eight is like 
shaboom well, action it had movie to be, we are you in know it. it was like the final episode where everything culminates and oh yeah. it was action packed yeah yeah i'm very emotional too yeah that's true actually what was emotional not only for all the plot lines that we've been driving to so you know of course we're we're getting the culmination of where did uh, Will Byers disappear to mm-hmm. way back in episode one? And also, we didn't know how Hopper's daughter had died. That's you know, true. If it was an accident or if it was health related. And that was completely revealed within the eighth episode. And it was gut-wrenching. Yeah, they spent a lot of time with flashbacks actually fleshing out in the midst of all this action Ugh. the backstory of Sheriff Hopper and what went wrong with the child that he lost, uh, which was really cool, uh, really really affecting, actually. It didn't yeah. slow things down. It actually... Oh my gosh, was that a monster? <laughs> Something bumped the microphone. I <laughs> think the monster's in the room. Um, Coming out of the wall. There was a lot of monster in this episode, too. So, of course, if you've been watching the show, right, you know that uh, the kid disappears and it goes from, a, like, where did he go case? Turns to... out he's in the upside down. <laughs> sure. He's in the veil of shadows. Yeah. Yes, an he's, echo of our world, but gone... filled with decay. Wow. And, oh, yeah. Are you writing travel brochures for this alternate dimension? That was really I'm talking to Lonely Planet about (laughs) a guide for the Upside Down, yes. Sure. Where Mm -hmm. to visit. That's right. It's toxic. Wear your hazmat suit. (laughs) Don't mind that little flotsam in the air. (laughs) Try not to inhale it if you can, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we are we're left with with some questions at the end of this uh, at the end of this and and as a slight news item, I will say that as of this recording, a second season isn't officially greenlit yet. Oh come on! I know. Well, the head of Netflix has said something to the effect of, and this is not quite a direct quote, but paraphrasing, saying, "Well, we'd be stupid not to." Uh, yeah. So. They just need to like put out a press release and make it so because oh the cliffhangers. Yeah, we knew Ooh. there was going to be a cliffhanger. Ooh. We had heard that it sets up a set a second season. That is what we had heard. We just didn't know what it would be. I kept looking for the cliffhanger, like when um, Hopper got into the car with the bad men. Like oh my god, is he coming back? Right, so I was very excited to see that he was still alive at the Christmas party. Like, whoo! Thank goodness this character is still around, because he really is one of my favorite characters in this show. Um, so, okay, so he's good. Like, what is the cliffhanger? And I didn't. Oh, and of course, it was Mike. It was Mike it's the having kid who that. Yeah. Whoo! Jumping into the other dimension unexpectedly after barfing up a slug. <laughs> Yeah, think Mike's not out of the slug. woods. He's not out of no, the woods. No, no, something got in him, yeah. and it is gestating, and um, yeah, yeah. He's got a xenomorph working working on his guts or something oh, right now. Lordy. Um, and I would say that this show is also uh, one of the best performances in a show full of great performances. Is the actress who plays Eleven, the telekinetic uh, heroine, Millie Bobby Brown. Millie Bobby Brown. Um, who nailed this role. She's so great. Oof. And watching this episode, uh, on the surface, you'd think, oh, well, she's gone. She seems right. to have sacrificed herself. She in, nuked herself so she yeah, could nuke the monster. To take out the monster. And yet, mm. there seems to be... A permanent structure in yes, the woods. Exactly. 
a little permanent structure in the woods that someone is delivering some Eggo waffles <laughs> to, which is her favorite food. So, huh? Lego my Eggo. Lego said Eggo. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, 80s references and Legoing of Eggoing, um, so, Lulu, of course, this show is full of 80s homages to uh, 80s, 80s films. What, I want you to tell me what two or three of your favorite, I would say your first, but I know that they're going to flow like a river, 80s homages out of this thing. Okay, uh, when Joyce acts like Richard Dreyfus. Uh, oh. when he, you know, he starts going nuts, you know, with the building, the mountain in Devil's Tower. Right. Encounters, yeah. Right. And, uh, so, uh, that's what, Nan- I mean, sorry, Joyce does with the, with the Winona Christmas Ryder. lights. Yeah. Um, I love all the ET references. Can I just say them? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when Mike is showing 11, uh, the house and especially in his room, he's showing, well, these are, you know, the Star Wars figures and <laughs> I mean, that is so E.T. And then he puts, he puts her in the closet, um, which Elliot also does to E.T. when his mom comes upstairs. I mean, she doesn't get to hide among some really cute, fuzzy stuffed animals. She has a panic attack instead, but she is put in the closet to hide. Your mouth is open. You didn't realize that. No, I just thought of another one. Oh, as we've been watching this show, I've I've got to say, dear listener, uh, Lulu and I might as well have a buzzer between the two of us because they keep making these homages to Close Encounters or Jaws or ET or Poltergeist or Alien or whatever. Mm-hmm. And every time one happens, we're like, yeah, there's one. That's ET. Mm-hmm. No, another one just occurred to me. This is this is. I expect your face to go wide with admiration for <laughs> for coming up with this. Okay, we'll because see. Because I was thinking, geez, all they needed to do was dress uh, Eleven up in a ghost <gasps> outfit. But oh! yes, oh, because in ET they dress <gasps> up ET in a dress that they take from Gertie's room and a blonde a wig, blonde wig, which is straight up what they did with Eleven. Oh in my this show. god. That's right. Mic drop. I'm not going to drop the mic. This is a brand new recorder. <laughs> oh I'm not going to drop it. Okay. Also, Holly is Drew Barrymore, right? Yeah. The Holly character. She's also the character from Poltergeist because she Holly goes into the room with the lights blinking. Is like, ooh, pretty lights, and sees the alien um, hand coming through the wall. Holly is Mike's little sister, the blonde. Oh, with the thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I couldn't remember who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so that's she's a little bit of uh, ET and a little bit of a uh, poltergeist. Yes, yeah, that's true, mm-hmm. right? Uh, she never gets like a "they're here" <laughs> right. moment, but season <laughs> two, here. season two, baby, season two. <laughs> and then uh, we we said poltergeist when Nancy comes to the tree when Jonathan pulls her through the tree, right through the yeah. goop from one dimension into the earthly plane. Yeah, right. Shades um, of Poltergeist, yeah. You know what? What I like also. Speaking of of trees and goop and whatnot, um, we've been having fun also playing with this this show. Of course, if you've been watching the show, you know this. The set decorations are off the chart. Um, the the set designer, the production designers deserve Emmy awards and everything else that you want to give to them because. Especially, we can say, as Gen Xers, as kids who were literally the same age as these kids are in 1983. I was 11 turning 12 in the fall of 1983. Yeah, it feels right. Winona Ryder is my mom. Okay, some people are on the fence about her, and I'm like, no, she's amazing because she is my mom. My mom 
we led a hard scrabble life. She raised uh, my brother and myself. We didn't have much. I mean, she worked all the time. She was very stressed. She she was brilliant when it came to like finding money. She got a Manx cat, a runt of the litter for free and bred our Manx cat with other Manx cats and sold the kittens for money. And that's what you call a stranger thing. right there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But if, if my mom was confronting a monster because the monster had stolen one of her children, that is how my mother would have behaved. Yeah. Most definitely. And oh my God, in the last <laughs> episode, like, oh, this dinner, this, I, it's not good. And like, oh, Brad and I looked at each other like this. Yeah, it was a little freaky. That was a little, a little too close. And she kind of looks like my mom. So yeah, she, to- she totally nailed my mom. I don't know how she got to do a character study of her at some point, but it was Your pretty. mom was the acting coach on this. <laughs> um, right. Uh, what I was, was going to say in a way also, speaking of 80s references and, and all this, and I'm happy for that tangent. I like that tangent. But um, and the set dressing in this show, there are some movie posters that are hiding on the walls in this show that uh, I, I don't think you need like you don't analyze everything in this show the way you would say Twin Peaks, where every tiny little insane thrown off comment actually ends up meaning something. However, yes. it's hard not to argue when you're seeing like an evil dead poster on the wall to not make a connection by the time you hit episode five, six, seven, or whatever of this show where, you know, the, the woods themselves are alive and possessed in, uh, in some supernatural way that you can't quite make heads or tails of. And by the time they're actually pointing out, like, take that poster off the wall, that's, (laughs) that's inappropriate. Like, uh, uh, Clearly, we're meant to be paying attention right. to the poster on the wall. And we kept seeing the poster of the thing in yeah. Mike's basement. And, of course, that doesn't really need much explanation, the thing. Right. And we'd see a poster of Jaws. Yeah. And when Barb's uh, hand bled into the water, I actually thought, chum in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's chum true. in the water. And that came up later, that the thing is attracted to blood. And then we saw the Jaws poster. Um, they refer to the, now this isn't a poster thing but they refer to this monster as being a variety of predatory animals and then we cut to the gun shop and there's like the head of a bear in there I mean they, they were they were placing you know references everywhere and if you were watching for them then you would notice them we even tried to analyze the dark crystal poster in Mike's room <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like, if all the other posters mean something surely the dark crystal poster right. well, means Mike's something well Mike's a gelfling he's a gelfling <laughs> He can't even looks like one. Or writing an incredibly uh, nerdy paper uh, <laughs> explaining right. the refer- the connections between Stranger Things and the Dark Crystal. <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, we don't want to keep you too long uh, from beginning your second viewing of the series. That's important. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in this house before too long. But suffice it to say, two big thumbs up from this household. Performance is amazing. Story yes. great. Music amazing. The kids are amazing. Yeah, this awesome. is awesome. We should be saying awesome, totally awesome. Uh, that's maybe the '80s from, but a few years later. <laughs> exactly. What if the, what if the second season like takes place a few years later, and suddenly the oh, culture is all square different? Pigs, and, square pigs. Oh, a horror in and of itself. <laughs> all right. Uh, with that said, uh, if you haven't gotten the message yet, um, big fans of Stranger Things. Well done, Netflix. This was a nice stealth entry that I'm not sure anyone was even really aware of. It really was. Spielberg meets Stephen King. 
Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a great way of summing it up. And you, if you do say so yourself. Mm, thank I, you. I can't argue with that. Thank you, Lulu, for chiming in. Thanks for having me, uh, husband. <laughs> thank you, wife. <laughs> Bye-bye. Since Lulu and I recorded this segment, Netflix has, in fact, greenlit a second season of Stranger Things. Audiences can return to the creepy town of Hawkins, Indiana, with nine new episodes in 2017. I've been a reader and collector of comic books off and on since I was about six years old. And when you were a comic book reader in the 80s, you'd buy your comics from a drugstore or a bookstore. And then eventually, mom and pop comic book stores began to show up and a specialty retailer industry was born. Ever since then, I've been fascinated by what it would be like to run a comic book store. So I turned to Steve Olson, the owner of A Little Shop of Comics in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, one of my favorite comic book stores, for some answers and some scoop on retailers' relationships with DC and Marvel. So, if you are a consumer of comic books or games or even geek-skewing toys, chances are you've stepped foot in one or two comic book stores in your day. And if your experience is boiled down to the following highlights, uh, bad lighting, cramped claustrophobic spaces, unfriendly, unwelcoming, unhelpful staff, or an overall vibe which is not particularly welcome to women or anyone under the age of 13 for that matter, then you've never been inside a shop like a little shop of comics in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. These folks are doing it right and set a great example of what comic shops and collectible stores can be. And we're going to find out all the secrets of what it's like to run a comic shop and how to make it a successful experience for owners and customers alike. And that knowledge is going to come courtesy of Steve Olson, owner of A Little Shop of Comics. Steve, welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts. Thank you very much, Brian. Appreciate sure. it. Um, so uh, I think that probably any young uh, ambitious comic book collector or enthusiast at, at one point or another probably daydreams about own, owning a store so that they can be among their hobby and the unmistakable smell of paper all day long. Um, is that how you started? Can you tell me about your early collecting days and, and the sorts of stores and personalities that you encountered? So we'd have to go back to 10-year-old Steve. I always <laughs> like to use sure. him. Um, my, I grew up in Brooklyn and um, there weren't comic stores at that time in 75 or so yeah. per se but right. we didn't know of any so we went to bookstores and I used bookstores and the people the folks that owned them were usually a little bit older and the comics were a nuisance to them <laughs> and a bunch of 10 and 12 year olds coming in sitting down on the floor going through all the back issue bins for a couple hours started to weigh on their minds you know in these dusty bookstores so um, that's kind of where the beginning got you know and you know, they used to yell at us, all right, time to go, get out. Right. You've been here too long. You know, uh, so that's that's where it started from. And I had a passion for the comics at that point. Um, and then fast forward, you know, teen years, you're a teenager, college years, you're a college person, you know, and then kind of settle back down. And, and uh, it was kind of looking back at something I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. So at, at what point then did it shift from, like, because I'm assuming now if we, if we jump forward into your college years that you're sitting on a mound of, like, you've got a substantial collection or something and, like, I don't, I don't, I really, I kind of like doing this and I don't want to not do that or is that Not, totally not, not a substantial, I, I, a friend of mine, um, 
Robert, he had a bigger collection, and I kind of glommed off of him. Um, unfortunately, my family moved a lot. Mm. So at each move, the movers decided to take some for their kids without asking. Darn it, movers. Yeah, yeah. Um, by 22, the entire collection was gone. Oh. So, wow. yeah. And uh, I always tell the story, the white elephant was always uh, Hulk 181. Mm-hmm. And it was a beat-up copy. I know it was. It wasn't the best copy, but it was just awesome. <laughs> It was just an awesome book to me. I was a Hulk fan. And um, so that, that was kind of a, a little bit of a motivator in the back of the head. But um, I, I just knew that this is something I wanted to do. But I also knew that I wanted to be different. Mm-hmm. I also learned the lessons from my youth. And I also realized that the modern consumer wanted something different. And I also realized that women have half the money. <laughs> sure. <laughs> at, at least. At least yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that then. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk about your philosophies on, on customer service, which I suspect are applicable not just to uh, comic book stores, but any retail business for that matter. Um, do you have a policy in place for your staff or do you just hire the best darn people you can find? Because the point, I mean, the difference is you walk in here. And it's, it's very warm right out of the gate, not long at all before someone makes eye contact um, and, and welcomes you and says, can I help you? Or, you know, do you just want to look, you know, sort of they, like that. I think that your staff does a great job of sort of taking the vibe off of that person. We have shifted our way of doing things where we've tell people when we're interviewing them that this is a business. We sell cool stuff, but it's a business. And we've gone to uh, seminars we uh, belong to Comics Pro, which is a retail organization for professional comic retailers, believe it or not. And, um, you know, always sharing ideas from other retailers, but I, also a lot of reading and, and little simple things. Mm-hmm. So the, the one thing about greeting people is is that if you go to any comics, a lot of comic stores or a lot of, a lot of shops in general, people don't say hello to you. Mm-hmm. You know, and we want to just say hello to you. And, and a lot of times people are like, no, thank you. And it's like, it's not what I asked, it's not what I said. (laughs) You know, and then there's this like little grace period of time. And then we follow up with you and just let you know that, you know, we know who you are and we know you're in a place. And if you need help, we can we can do that. Right. Right. But we also talk to people that um, uh, potential employees. And the one thing that we do is you're not just talking to the customer. You're not asking them questions. You're kind of interviewing the customer. It's almost like you're trying to search what they're into. I don't want to push, you know brand X comic because I ordered a thousand of them. I want you to walk away with what you came looking for or something that you didn't know you were looking for, but you're going to like or you're going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the premise of everything. And employees get it within 90 days or not, whether this is for them. And the one thing that's always amazing is when they're walking out, when they've, we part ways, usually in a friendly way, um, they say, I didn't realize what this was going to be, even though you told me in the interview. So it's always um, interesting to hear that, you know, and, and you can tell, you know, employees. But we, we do stress customer service, yeah. you know, because we all, everybody sells the same type of product, but you have to feel welcome and it has to be inviting in here, you know. And it, uh, believe it or not, we've actually gotten bad feedback online because we actually ask people if they need help and follow up. I mean, one guy reviewed us and said, oh, they're going to, they're, they're on top of me like I'm going to steal a $4 book. And it's like... You know what? I'm not even going to answer that one. I'll just let it go. You know, sometimes right. bad feedback builds character because right. it all looks like good feedback. Maybe, maybe you think it's all just fake feedback. So I'm just, yeah. it's the internet. It's a new, a new way of doing things. Right, right. <laughs> Tell me when you're interviewing people, what is the split between, um, 
customer service and, and being the right fit as far as from a customer service perspective versus having what theoretically could be just an encyclopedic knowledge of this. I, and I say that because I was, I was in a store in Manhattan recently and could overhear someone being interviewed uh, for, for a position there. And the person is asking like, oh, so do you read currently? And what do you read? And what do you like? And I thought, yeah, I almost got anxiety listening to that, thinking I've been reading for decades. But if someone said like, all right, you're going to work in a comic book store, you know, do, do you need to have some degree, like, do you need to be a walking encyclopedia of nerddom to pull this off? Because it's only a matter of time before someone is going to hit you with, uh, can you tell me where I can find like Great Lakes Avengers appearances or <laughs> yeah. something like that? Um, we, or is that not as important? I, I don't think it is as important. We do want a little bit of a, a, a knowledge base, if you will. Sure. And, and talk about anxiety. You know, one of the first things we do is to give you an availability sheet, then we give you a quiz. <laughs> and it's a superhero quiz, you know. Or like once in a while, I'll get someone and, you know, when just talking to them in a pre-interview thing, they're a little bit more independent. I have like an independent comic questionnaire, you know. And then I also uh, give them, you know, kind of like just write your favorite things and things of that nature. I take that knowledge. I also glean off of them from the interview whether or not they're gonna kind of fit. And it's almost like a vibe, you know. Are you the type of person to go out of your way to help? Or are you just someone that wants to scan books, collect your check and leave, you know? Mm -hmm. Might not be the right fit for both of us. You know, we'll give you a shot and see. You know, but uh, often we find that the knowledge is maybe in movie base or video game base or older cartoon base and you know not everybody reads everything and you know sure comics are not cheap so we, we understand if somebody doesn't pick up 50 books when they're 15 right so not to hold it against them yeah and, and then we follow that up with and say you know well we give you the opportunity to learn if you like you know and there are things that we can loan you you know uh, we also try to make sure we discount it down so they we're not taking their check for us mm -hmm. um but we also tell them to be honest if you don't know don't don't say don't make up an answer it's the worst thing you can do or you know um, if you don't like something the polite way of saying it's not my cup of tea sure so you know um, as much as we like comic knowledge sometimes it gets in the way because if someone has a lot of comic knowledge I've had to pull people away from customers because they're saying they're talking about you know which you know green arrow they like the best or green lantern you know incarnation they like the best and it's like it's 20 minutes in <laughs> there's a line here you know yeah you have to help but you also have to let them right. let, let people explore too right right absolutely so i think a related customer service uh, aspect that that plays well nicely here is that your store has a significant and prominent kids section which would seem like common sense for a comic book store, but is certainly not necessarily the trend. Uh, I hope that that's changing and maybe you're experiencing something different. Um, years ago, I was, uh, and again, my own personal experience, 10 year old sure. Steve, you know, um, I used to stay with my grandparents in the summer and we had uh, my one uncle, my grandmother's brother, he would stay with us and where we, we were upstate New York, and he liked the newspaper in the morning, but it was a seven mile drive each way, right? So he'd wake me up and he's like, Stevie, let's go. And it's like, I would get to the, the pharmacy and he's like, pick out a couple of comics, I'll buy them for you. You know, and it was like, oh, when Uncle Edwin's around, it's great, my collection builds. Yeah. So with that in mind, when, when I did um, start the store in 95 or actually bought it, I wanted to morph a section for all ages because I realized that, you know, 
I want someone to start enjoying what I enjoy. I want to keep that going. I want people to understand what it's like to feel a comic and read a comic, you know? And uh, we've always, from the beginning, and it's evolved when Lena came aboard to work full time, we've evolved that section and we go out of our way. And we hear from parents like yourself all the time that, believe it or not, there's not a lot of stores out here that do this or as in depth as you do. And we're always trying to expand that section. We always talk to the publishers. We tell the publishers what they're doing right and wrong, mm. you know, and the publishers, you know, unfortunately, they don't always listen to sure, us, sure. you know, uh, Marvel uh, of late has gone to, uh, it's a very Disney-esque way of doing things. It takes screen grabs of the cartoons and mm. our, my chiropractor, his eight-year-old son, Rocco, is like, yeah, I don't want this anymore. I've already seen that cartoon. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you, you can't fool these kids because right. they're not, these kids you know, are they're not smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but we, we, we enjoy, you know, um, sharing our passion for comics with younger group. You know, and, and again, like things like Free Comic Day to us are just like, the idea was golden. I love Joe Field forever for thinking of the idea, you know, and um, he's, he's the best. But yeah, we really, really enjoy having the kids in and come in and, and explore because yeah. it's really cool to watch them get their first comic or you know the first time they really realize they put it all together and stuff like that it's that's, fun that's great so it's wednesday evening as this is being recorded as listeners may or may not know wednesdays are a big deal in the comic book industry because it's new release day um, so I'm curious about the traffic in the store partly being answered because I could hear the bell every time <laughs> a door or uh, the door opens or closes um, so I'm curious about your traffic, which might be the same across the country. Is it in fact true? Are Wednesdays crazy busy for you, and then the rest of the week is comparatively quiet? Like, is it Black Friday every Wednesday, or or what? No, how do the traffic yeah. patterns go? Wednesdays are weird. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, regionally it goes regionally. You know, summertime in Jersey, you know, a lot of short traffic, right? You know, the last week in July, the first week in August, uh, Labor Day weekend. You know, but there are still people that come in. Um, it's not like it used to be. We've actually built a more pop culture store. You know, we, yes. we've expanded the horizons and and what we sell, um, so that we don't get stuck in that mode. As a business, you have to you know be aware of what's going on, be aware of your surroundings, and understand that you don't need to be that heavy. You know, ninety percent or eighty percent comics because it can bite you. Right. You know, we expanded to graphic novels, so we have that. You know, we've three four thousand graphic novels um pop the pop action yeah, figure the funko pop stuff, funko stuff. Yeah. that has been a boom we were on from the beginning so we were riding that well wave. done sir <laughs> yeah and, you know and, and and again it's just you know our competitors do action figures and statues better than us and we were just not you know it's not a market i'm interested in chasing if someone else is doing it well you know and you know find something else and try to be a little bit more unique you know right. and comic fans in general go shop to shop to shop right right you know, yeah. they, they have a home base, but they do bounce around. If you don't mind, I'd love to talk about the process of ordering comic book inventory because it seems like it's one part market research, one part gut intuition, and one part straight up Las Vegas gambling in a way because you don't always know what's going to sell. What, walk me through that process. So I know that you, you, typically you find out about uh, what's coming down the pike two, three months in advance? Yeah. Okay. About two months in advance. Uh, and. The system does have to change um, because it, it used Listen to rely. Up, Diamond. Yeah, Diamond, there you go. <laughs> I love those guys and gals. Um, 
But the consumer is different now. They, they're no longer you're grabbing the previous catalog as a consumer, going through it and handing in your order form. We have standard holds. And that know, was the thing for a while, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. And stores became very reliant on that. And mm-hmm. it's that's also dangerous too because, you know, you tilt certain ways. I mean, there's stores, you know, in, in this region that do that and that's fine, but you're not expanding your horizons. We've always been aware of independent comics and things of that nature. But the more you're educated, the more you, you research and the more you do, the more informed you are, you yep. know. Um, so, again, like you said, part of Vegas, riverboat gambler, <laughs> you know. Um, lately, unfortunately, some of the things that Marvel in the past five or six years have done, and the consumer doesn't really know this, is they've made these variant covers. Um, the first variant covers were sales incentives to get you to boost the numbers, one in 20, one in 50, one in 100, right? And so now you can charge a little bit more for that, and, and the consumer may or may not buy it. But now they started doing things, and um, I think one of the very first ones was when uh, President Obama got elected. Mm-hmm. So you, they wanted you to do this m- wicked, crazy math that you have to order this plat- this number of this other random book before you can order one copy of this special cover. Yeah, and so it was for, like an amazing Spider-Man cover. Or something, right, right? Five, it was 583, I think it was. So the number that we had to hit was like 120 copies of Spider-Man, and we were selling like 75 at the time. So now I have to eat 45 copies to get to this other cover. Yeah. And we're like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do with this, you know, and, and what if we don't sell this inventory, you know, and that's kind of a, a thing that Marvel has done and it's been to spike their sales numbers so the numbers you see from them a lot of times are inflated artificially mm. you know most recent was they announced this campaign of hip-hop covers yeah and it was an awesome idea we loved it except you have to you know order x amount of this book match against this random other book and you're not going to sell you know four times the amount you're going to sell you know a lot less that's, before you can order one of those covers that's weird that they're matching it against another book that's totally unrelated I mean I, I guess I understand the practice and films do it also every once in a while like you can bring in whatever blockbuster but you also have to book this right. you know mid-level right. movie or something um, so does that mean that you know you've got to get X many copies of right. uh, of whatever X-Men or something like that and at the same yes. time what, however you also need to bring in whatever of you know Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur or something like yeah, that yeah I mean it's just so now you, you have, so then it's uh, promoted to the fan base. Mm-hmm. And again, the, fan, the idea is very Disney-esque in here, for us anyway. Sure. We don't want you to know what's going on in the background. <laughs> you know, Rome could be burning, you know, but out on the, on the floor, everything's good. calm. It's all good. Oh, here's this book right here. Yeah. You know, so you, you try to keep that away from the consumer because you come here for escape. You don't need to know or be stressed out as to what we're doing and what we have to do. And the problem is, is they went out and promoted that to all these media outlets that picked up on it, brought in a new customer base. So we were we were up against it. We didn't know what to do. Do we charge, you know, three or four times the cover price for the one book? Because then we know what's going to happen there. So what we did is we started bagging them together with the regular issue and say, you have to buy both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, still people get upset about that and say, well... We kind of explain it to him say, well, it's a sales incentive to get this cover. And give him a very quick explanation, not too in-depth in if they ask, and say, that's the only way we can afford to do it at cover price. But it's not cover price. Well, at least you're getting another book. Sure. You know, so um, that's something we'd love to see Marvel change. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I don't 
people like variant covers. It is what it is. But I just think they're just beating a dead horse. You know, DC is taking the opposite approach with their rebirth. They're doing um, a regular cover and another cover, and we have the option to order whatever we want. Mm. No restrictions. And, you know, and the consumer also enjoys the fact that they went back down to two ninety nine on most of the books. Yeah, that's a pretty bold move. That's Dan Didio and Jim Lee. You know, um, Dan is an avid comic guy. Jim is, well, you know, great artist um, and pretty good um, executive at DC. But the, these guys are, are into trying to build back their, their market. And one of the things they want it to be is accessible at an accessible price point. And Marvel is seems to be chasing a sales figure number that they have to hit, you know, as told to them by someone higher up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like they're being dictated to. You need to keep your numbers, your financials up this way. And that's what they're doing. And they'll do things like market to a loot crate. So that gives them 150,000 copies sold. So right, right. that pumps their number. So, yeah. Um, but we, the consumer is enjoying it, you know, on the DC side. And we're seeing a shift again. You know, it's kind of, it's an up and down porpoise thing with the two of them. So, and Marvel's recent relaunch again just seems to be characters that are not not related to what people are looking for. Right, right. So, for example, like when a new movie or TV show is announced or released, do you see a sales bump as a result of that? For example, like when Suicide Squad came out last week, does that mean that all the Harley Quinn merchandise is going to move? Or... Is it? Eh. So, going, just wanted to go back real quick, sure. just to let the consumer know, is we buy all these books and they're not returnable. Yes, what does happen? They end up as decoupage projects somewhere, don't they? <laughs> they wind up in Steve's basement. Or in the West Coast, those guys don't have basements, so they, they rent storage units and put them in the garage. Um, but to go back to the Suicide Squad or a movie, uh, so we're seeing this difference in consumer, and, and um, Marvel and DC believe that when they launch a movie that there's an uptick in comic sales or graphic novel sales, that has leveled off over the past five or six years mm. as, as this has gone on. And they're, they're more movie fans of the movie and not necessarily interested in picking up a comic. Yeah. The threshold seems to be a little bit too much for them to break into a new story. And Harley Quinn is Harley Quinn. Sure. There's no need to pump Harley Quinn sales. Harley Quinn always sells. Well, that's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure that's probably a terrible example. No, 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 but it, it's not. It, it's, 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 the, it's the the obvious leap in the movies. Well, what, what made me think about it also, though, is that, uh, like, within the last week or so, there were rumors of... Um, the DC TV team, Greg Berlanti, I think, maybe developing like a Black Lightning TV series or something. And then I was on some website that would talk about back issue sales and sure enough, you know, early Black Lightning is showing up on there. So, you know, I wonder, uh, I think even within the, within the last few days, Marvel has had their version. Joe Quesada was talking about, you know, Ms. Marvel almost imminently showing up somewhere. Like it was... Right. It was freakishly vague, of course. It didn't mean anything yeah. <laughs> other than, like, I'll bet she's going to be in a movie show or a TV show at some point. Joe Q, the luckiest guy on the planet. Right place, right time. <laughs> He's all right guy, though. Um, there's, if you sell back issues, there's a direct correlation to that. Okay. You will, if, you, if you're not on top of the news and it's like one of, 
you know, I watch regular news and I go online and I check other news and, and I have all these feeds on the phone and everything. Yeah. But you have to pay attention because it, it does affect the value and it, it affects, you know, our, our ability to pay our bills, right? Sure. So if, you know, a book goes from 75 to 100 overnight, you want to keep an you eye on that. that. Right. You know, yeah. um, but overall, I don't think it moves the needle to get people in. Mm. in the door you mm-hmm. know um, and, and the honest truth of the matter is these huge corporations have a vast pool of characters to pull from and there are a lot of retailers that worry that we're not needed anymore and someday the comic will disappear mm. and, and you know that could be true you know I don't know how far out they have I know Marvel has movies planned out to the middle of 2025 yeah but it would behoove them to pay attention and, and, and keep the medium going. Right. Which is where the independent creators come in. And the other problem is is that creators. Creators aren't dumb. They see what's going on. They see the numbers. And there's going to be a, a reckoning in the bigger companies like Marvel and DC that eventually they're going to have to share with that artist and that writer the creation. And all they have to do is look at Robert Kirkman and the empire he's building. Because... Everybody pays attention, and these guys know, if I create something for Marvel and it's not mine, but I could go to Image and broker a deal, and it's an independent company, and if I get a movie or TV deal, I get the money. So at some point, Marvel and DC are gonna have to come to grips with that and start sharing in the creation of those characters and start sharing the profits backwards. Yeah. So You you mentioned uh, before the like event series and that sort of thing that Marvel and DC are all about over the last you know decade longer yeah. ar- arguably but really you know each time it seems like it's a bigger deal for them both from a story perspective but even from a business perspective. So from from a sales standpoint, I'm really curious about that. Does that work? Do they are the big civil wars, the rebirths, the you know. Secret Wars, whatever the case might be, are they are they really popular, or do you find that fans sometimes sit them out if for no other reason because there are so many various crossovers and one shots and miniseries and tie ins and, and all that. So sort of thing? going back a, a bunch of years, we 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 talked to our customers about these events, mm. and going back to even Civil War or House of M on the Marvel side, um, we told people is honestly, if you want to just follow the main story, you follow the main story. If you collect a Ghost Rider. Yeah, it's going to be annoying that, you know, in the continuity of <laughs> Ghost Rider, it's going to be like, yeah, it's going to it's going to go to the side. But it's not necessary to grab them all. Yeah. Again, that goes back to the honesty part. Um, the other part is in 2007, we, we put a point of sale system in. So we have data that tells Marvel, for argument's sake, that their event series are dwindling in popularity. Whether it could also be our customer base. Our customer base turns over, changes, kids go away to college, you know, folks move to another city, you know, people, um, you know, it just is what it is. But we, we're trying to get them to understand that these bigger events are, there's, there's, a, there's a jet lag to that. There, there's a, a, a bit of a pushback to it. And then the killing of a, a beloved character just to spike sales has just gotten old and tired yeah you know the last the last event that they did that the sales were like nobody cared mm-hmm. you know it's like well i know they're going to come back anyway right you know fool me once shame on you and then you know i have 10 other things that you fooled me on right you know um but those the marvel events in particular and, and marvel sales in general hey they they kind of made a shift to write the books more toward in tune with the movies and tv mm-hmm. and again it goes back to my point of 
they believe that their customers coming in looking to read material and it's not necessarily true i mean we do have some but not in the amount that justifies the amount of people that are walking away mm-hmm. and that's that's a bit of a problem we notice that we notice people walking away especially from the bigger events yeah that's interesting in that the movies like if at one point obviously the comics were driving the movies yeah. But now maybe Marvel's perceiving that the movies are driving the comics and everyone's feeling a little chicken well, and the egg about the whole thing. So last year, and, and the numbers are skewed last year because Marvel, you know, in 2015 took back Star Wars. Yes. So that was huge for us. I mean, Star Wars numbers made, made all the other Marvels just disappear. You know, it's like everything just kind of went to the side. But um, people, again, are getting tired of relaunches of these big events. Um, Marvel in particular has been doing these relaunches. It seems like year after year and volume to volume. <laughs> they drive me insane. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we have, and again, like I said, they, they hate, the hate point of sound systems because it's truth, you know, and we have to face that when we're going back to doing an order and how do you do an order? There is face the truth. You know, you can't order, you know, three times the amount that you need just to get this book. Yeah. And we're adjusting the sales accordingly. As we wrap things up here, do you have a sense? Let's look in the crystal ball. <laughs> what are what? Do you have a good sense of the trends that that are going to drive things forward? I mean, single issues versus collections. Uh, do you think that shift things are going to shift more and more towards digital? Is everything going to coexist together? Because if I'm remembering right, I feel like I've actually seen uh, sales figures that say that the industry in, in as a whole is actually up. Um, yeah, and the numbers are not what they used to be, you know, going back to the 80s and things oh, of sure. that nature. However, digital came, scared everybody. Um, and, and I was kind of on the fence on that. You know, I kind of went 50-50 on it. I'm like, yeah, this could be bad, but yeah, this could be good, you know, because, you know, you have people in places that can't get it, so maybe they need to get it. Um, I, I don't think digital is a thing. The, the only difference digital will make, and from everything I've seen online and seen the feedback of all the websites and what people say, is that the reason they want digital is they want it cheaper. They don't understand that the delivery system is still the cover price. And what they don't understand is is the companies know if they switch to a cheaper price, they still have to pay the artist and the, and the writer and the letterer for that. So even though they shift, they're just going to make less money. And then, you know, the Apple effect, they take like a third, I think. Right. So um, I think digital is fine. I think that you're seeing um, you're seeing a, a mix of people that there are people that prefer graphic novels. There are people that will want to do the month to month thing. Uh, what we're seeing a big uptick is um, people looking for older issues, hmm. back issues, and we're working on expanding that. Um, <laughs> even today, I, I had a an appointment with a uh, a woman who was looking to sell but a half hour before that some two gentlemen came in with just long boxes of stuff looking to sell and that's kind of the market's kind of shifting you know that people are also going backwards you know and they're also enjoying the older stories so there's this nice mix of everything so I, I think for now you know unless there's a shift to a lower price point on digital that's the only thing that could sway sales but there's a tactical feel to a comic, and I think for the most part, even the younger generation, they understand the difference between holding an iPad and also holding a comic. And there's also a sense of ownership. I think you know a lot of people have a problem with owning something digitally. 
whether it be music or a comic book for that matter. Well, I want to give people the opportunity to find you if they want to reach out and check out the store online. I know you've got a pretty significant social media presence. Where are the places that you'd recommend people look to learn about? Uh, Social media wise, we're on Facebook. Um, We're also on Instagram, uh, Twitter. That's that's a little different, that Twitter address. Twitter is weird. Can't (laughs) use all the letters that we needed. Uh, so it's like Little Shop of Comic stops with the S. <laughs> Singular comic. Yeah, and it might be under my personal name. I don't remember because <laughs> it's one of those things where you're learning, you know, these social media things. But um, Little Shop of Comics should pop up for Facebook and Instagram as well. Thanks again for the time. I love getting a peek at the retail side of the comic book industry. Plus, cool. you gave me a great excuse to hang out at a comic book store for a while. And what's better than Anytime. that? Nothing's better than that. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank you again. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. I'd love to hear what you think about this sonic adventure through all things nerdy. What do you like? What deserves to be killed with fire? Leave me a message at the social media channels and you might even hear your name on the podcast. What are those social media channels? Well, hell, I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. You can like the 1.21 Geekwatts Facebook page where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Geekwatts and come check out some pictures of my own geeky treasure trove at 1.21 underscore Geekwatts on Instagram. The big news this month is that the 1.21 Geekawatts podcast is now available in the iTunes store. Yes! You know what this means. It means you can subscribe to the podcast and never miss a geeky second. You can catch up on older episodes. And if you enjoy the show, you can rate and review it on iTunes, which does help spread the word. And it's all free! And I'd be very, very grateful if you did. Big thanks to all of you that have already been listening from episode to episode and have shared a reply. Recently, I ran into listener Ben White, who embraced me and said, I love the 1.21 Geekawatts podcast. That is the new best compliment I've ever received. The bar has been raised, people. Thanks, Ben. Thanks to Lulu French for joining me this episode to talk about Stranger Things, and huge gratitude to Sonic Mixologist, composer, and my co-producer, David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Sisko. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this free travel-sized chunk of Geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all of those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome with our radtastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Where every geek wants is what we got From Doctor Who to Aqualad We might think Luke and Leia's dead Pop culture that is super rad Hosted by some guy named Brad On a more pressing matter Joyce Byers can't find her son this morning Mmm, okay, I'm gonna get on that just Joy- a minute. Joyce is very upset. Flow, she- Flo, we've discussed this. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. Chief, she's coffee in your- and contemplation. <laughs> <laughs>